Hello, and welcome to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. My name is Jamie Edwards, and I'm a full-time professional endurance coach, age group triathlete, and triathlon fan. The Diary of an Age Grouper podcast is all about content relevant to age groupers. We'll talk to athletes, coaches, and experts who walk the walk. In this episode, we hear from Owain Matthews. Owain is a British age grouper who lives in Sydney, Australia with his young family. He's an ex-elite runner, two-time age group world champion, Kona qualifier, and sub-four-hour 70.3 athlete. How does he do it? Let's find out. This is the Diary of an Age Grouper. Owain, thanks for being here. How are you today? I'm good, mate. Thanks for having me on. Good to uh, catch up. It's been a while. It has been a while. Appreciate you being here. So just to jump straight in, you've got Sunshine Coast 70.3 coming up. How is the training going for that? I think it's two weeks to go at the time we're recording this. Yeah, it's cre- crept up pretty quickly after uh, after starting my prep about four or five weeks ago after a holiday. Um, it, was a, it was a rearranged event from earlier in the year where I had an injury leading into Port Macquarie 70.3. So um, I always love going to the Sunshine Coast with a family, so... It was an easy choice to switch to that race, and yeah, I'm am feeling pretty fit. Although my you know my prep's a little bit short, I, I feel like I'm in pretty good condition overall. So I'll be ready to go. I'm sure. It's definitely a good spot for a race. What's the goal for this race? Is it have you got a goal time? Is it a is it a placing? Is it a feeling? What are you chasing from this race? Yeah, it's probably a combination of all of those. I think I'm always obviously trying to be at the pointy end of the age group and. Um, I think my fitness that I've got this year will, will allow me to get up there. But um, for me, it's a bit of a, a sort of benchmark of what I'm going to do the rest of the season because I've had a bit of a hamstring issue at the start of the year that carried over to winter. And I really want to sort of decide where, what other races I want to do for the rest of the year and what what targets I want to have. So for me, it's about getting to the race and seeing how I go and how I feel coming out of it. And then I'll sort of target some other races for the rest of the season. Very nice. So. You mentioned sort of being towards the pointy end. Does, does that really drive you? And is that a big motivating factor? Obviously, we'll talk about it a little bit more down the track. But um, you're definitely someone who features at the top end of the not only your age group but the overall age group race. Is is that something that continues to drive you and you know helps you make decisions with this type of thing, or is it again going back to you know that you know that feeling and how it helps set up the rest of your season? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's sort of a, a, a personal performance as well. I sort of have my my own targets and sort of my own personal competition with what I, I want to achieve myself, but that sort of naturally puts you in the top end of the age group. And then obviously trying to be at the top of my age group is like a personal goal that I do have to challenge some of the the people overall as well. But it's uh, increasingly becoming a bit harder as – I'm getting a bit older and uh, all the younger people are getting faster and faster. So it's, it's reevaluating that every year. And, you know, there's definitely a lot of quick people around on course now, and I'm having to, to up my game a little bit to, to try and still compete at that level. I think. Definitely very deep field, very competitive age group fields for sure. 
Now you've had a quite a long in, a career in endurance sport. Can you give us a bit of a summary from your beginnings as a runner and then an elite runner right the way through to modern day Owain? Yeah. Um, I guess I was always that sort of kid who loved sport growing up and I grew up in the UK and team sports are huge there. So I played a lot of football and rugby as a kid, but towards the end of high school, um, my, my sport teacher kind of got me into running because he was a member of the local athletics club and I quickly sort of found a bit of a love for endurance sport and found that, you know, I was pretty good at it. So continued that sort of through, through high school. And it was really sort of the end of high school that I really started to make some sort of progression when I was 17, 18 and managed to get a scholarship to go out to university in the U S and obviously then continued some progression there. And, and really then over the next 10 years after university, just tried to work on, you know, lowering my times. I got some international representation for Great Britain as an under 23 and then kind of continued to run after that kind of more onto the the roads or did a lot of sort of 5k, 10k running after that before starting triathlon when I, I moved to Australia in 2011, which is when I started triathlon. Uh, very good. So can you, so obviously competing at quite a high level to represent Great Britain and also get that scholarship. Can you give us a bit of an idea of Personal best for the, for the five and ten k on the road. Yeah, so my uh, my five k is fourteen twenty five and my ten k is thirty twenty nine. So I did them sort of in my mid twenties. Prior to that, when I was running on the track, I was primarily doing the three k, which I ran eight sixteen, and the steeplechase, um, the three k steeplechase, which I did eight forty nine, and then the five k as well, which was the same time as my road time. But yeah, I, I was kind of a three k five k runner growing up, and then. As I got a little bit older, went to do some 10Ks as well. Very handy. So was the move to Australia related to sport and chasing um, your sporting endeavours or was it unrelated? And then following on from that, you said that's when you started to get into triathlon. Can you tell us a little bit about you know, being a pure beginner, again, right through to where you're at now? Yeah, I mean, the, the move to Australia was a lifestyle thing. So my wife and I were, were living in, in England at, at the time and um, she had some family over here in, in Sydney and we'd been on holiday here quite a lot and both being outdoors people and into endurance sports, every time we came here, we just had such a great time and we sort of set the self uh, a goal of, you know, trying to get a visa and get over here and um, luckily enough, I was able to get a skilled visa as a teacher and because my wife's family was here, we sort of had a guarantor for our visa. So we, we got over to Australia, which was absolutely amazing. And like I said, it was more of a lifestyle thing at the time. But by that time, I'd been running for about 20 years and I'd kind of just stagnated a bit in my motivation to just do running training. So I thought I was looking for something new, some do a new different challenge. And when we moved to Australia in 2011, there didn't seem to be a very big run scene. Like I couldn't find many running clubs around Sydney and stuff, but there were triathlon clubs everywhere. And there was one in the local suburb that we moved to. So first week I was here, I joined the tri club and just started getting involved with them to start with. And obviously I just started out by doing the run sessions and then they sort of integrated me into the club a bit. I didn't have a swim or bike background um, apart from, the general sort of stuff that you do as a kid in the UK. So I could ride a bike and, you know, we'd go on two weeks summer holiday a year and that would be sort of your swimming a year. Um, so it was a, a steep learning curve, first of all, and I was pretty, pretty poor at swimming and um, average on the bike. But, you know, 
the sort of, um, I guess, the lessons that I'd learned in endurance sport over the year as a runner came along with me and I, I quickly started developing in the triathlon. Yeah, okay. And can you recall, you know, your, your, how you got into long course racing? Yeah, I mean, I think most people that know me well from an endurance side is I don't really have a big background in, in long distance racing, even when it came to running. I was always quite against it. I never really enjoyed doing long training. And when I started triathlon, I, I was doing my first full season in 2012, doing sprints and Olympics. Um, and being a developing triathlete at that time, I was I was getting smashed on the swim. I was losing lots of time on the bike. And even with a fast run, like it was hard to get to the top of your age group. Um, and a lot of people have started telling me, you know, do something longer. Like you'll have way more time to catch up, things like that. Um, but I wasn't having any of it, first of all. It just sounded crazy to me to be doing half Ironmans and Ironmans. But I actually went and watched um, a lot of our friends do the 2012 Port Macquarie Ironman and, and was kind of a bit inspired after seeing all the different types of people who were were out there sort of, you know, uh, giving it their best all day. And, and that really sort of motivated me to give sort of long course triathlon a bit of a go. And that was kind of my start where um, straight after that, all of us signed up the next year. So me and a bunch of my friends from Balmoral Triathlon Club signed up for that and then signed up for um, Husky, like half, half Ironman distance before that. That was going to be our sort of goal for the year. All right. So if we fast track a little bit, um, we would like to focus in on a few things here, your two age group world championships, and then maybe a couple of your sub four 70.3s. But for some context, can you tell us about life away from training and racing? So your family, work, social life, et cetera, because, um, you know, there's a little bit going on there too, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, I, I would sort of classify myself as a, as a, a true age grouper from that sense. So, um, yeah, I was a high school teacher in the UK, and when I moved over to Australia, I started doing that initially. Um, but I had done some sports coaching quite a lot with um, alongside my teaching, and I was quite keen to get involved in that a bit more, like for the future, because it was sort of where my passion was. And uh, when we moved to Australia, I decided to get out of the high school teaching sort of game after a while and move to a more sort of stable um job where I could just work Monday to Friday normal hours because we were about to start a family so yeah I've been working at Macquarie University um as a student administrator for the past sort of 11 12 years and I've got two young boys who are six and eight years old now so um they they keep us really busy and then um I also coach with Energy Link Coaching who are a triathlon club based out a triathlon coaching company based out of Sydney um and I'm also on the, the committee is vice president of our local tri-club, Balmoral Triathlon Club. So, you know, uh, I have a lot of other stuff going on outside of training, which I think really helps balance my enjoyment and passion for triathlon still. Yeah, I think that helps frame that you're a busy age group triathlete who knows how, how to perform at a higher level across swim, bike and run. So let's now jump into some training-related questions. When you're preparing for, preparing for a key event, do you kind of have a set formula or weekly structure that works for you or is every preparation and build into a race different for you? Uh, now it's um, a bit more structured and stable. It's taken a while to sort of find something that, that worked really well for me and my sort of strengths and trying to 
focus on maybe the specific race that I'm targeting. So sometimes if the distance is changing, then my schedule might change. But the biggest evolution for me in my schedule and training sort of style has been how how things outside of my triathlon training have developed. So obviously when kids came along, my triathlon schedule changed. And then the, the difference between the kids being babies and toddlers and now sort of young kids the sort of competing time you have changes over that time. So the schedule of training has to evolve as well. But I feel like now I'm sort of much more knowledgeable about myself as an athlete, my body, what gets me in good shape. And I think I've sort of in a routine now where I, I know what works for me and that every time I sort of go to prepare for an event, I sort of approach it. It's a very similar way now. When when you're preparing for an event, you sort of have that set structure that, you, you know, in a routine that you said works for you. When you're having some downtime or it's the off-season or the pre-season, does that weekly structure look different? Um, and Or are you just someone who sort of looks at preparing for one race, recover from it, and then go into a nec- the next race build? No, I, I definitely have down periods. You know, my my sort of um, annual annual sort of training looks like quite a, a waved sort of structure. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of having downtime, especially with – you know, trying to get my athletes to do that, that I coach as well. But I think that really helps sort of refocus and, and refreshes you mentally and physically. And yeah, for me, I, you know, I have a lot of like real good social groups around Sydney as well. So I'll often, you know, jump in on, on, on road rides and groups and swim groups and things like that. So when I have downtime, it's very unstructured. My volume will come down and I'll, yeah, I'll do very different sort of stuff. I'll jump on the mountain bike and yeah, really start to sort of change what I normally do from that routine. Uh, but then as soon as, uh, yeah, I have a goal in mind, I get, I get straight back onto that schedule. So in that downtime, you're still swimming, biking and running, but you've just got heavily reduced structure and purpose to those sessions. It is just about exercising as opposed to training for a key event. Absolutely, yeah. More for enjoyment, the social side of it, and really sort of, yeah, trying to feel that, refreshment so that when i do get back to an event i'm I'm really ready to go and how long do you like to have before a key event is it an eight-week block 12-week block 10-week block 16-week block i think it can depend on the event um and you know looking at this from my perspective as an athlete but also you know when you're trying to work with other athletes when you're coaching them you know you're looking at your performance gaps and Depending on, for me, the type of event that I'm training for, especially the distance, I find I have to put in a little bit more. So I would say that naturally, like, my physiology is a lot more suited towards the shorter side of triathlon. I think, you know, I would say that probably, you know, standard distance triathlon is probably where my physiology lies um, in terms of my greatest strength. So if I was training for a half Ironman, I'd put in a little bit more time for a bigger block, probably in an ideal world, sort of 12 to 15 weeks. And then if I was going to train for an Ironman, it would be even more because I think the longer the distance goes, the less strengths I have uh, physiologically. So you go for a longer block of work prior to the event as opposed to trying to fit more volume into any given week? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm still a big fan of frequency because with the, the schedule that I have with the family and stuff, frequency is definitely my number one thing over volume, but I think the volume naturally comes with that. Um, but yeah, for, for, for some of my shorter distance races, you know, if it's a standard distance and it's a really key one, you know, I might only be looking at eight to 10 weeks, whereas, you know, for a half, it might be 12 to 15 if it was uh, a really important race. 
So speaking of that frequency and volume, what is your typical weekly structure and volume across swim, bike and run? Say you're preparing for a 70.3, which is what you're doing now. Yeah, so a 70.3, I would say I'm a pretty standard sort of 15 hour a week sort of trainer. Um, I think that gives me enough challenges to work on the areas of swim, bike and run that I need to and stay healthy and refreshed. Um, yeah, without getting injured, but giving me enough to work on to be able to compete at the top the top end of the age group. Um, yeah, if I start doing any more than that, I think I start taking a few more liberties with the family as well. So my wife has to sort of pick up some slack if I start taking more time than that. So about 15 hours works really well for me. Um, and, you know, for me, that's generally sort of two times a day, five days a week in the week, and then, yeah, two bigger sessions in the mornings at the weekend. All right. So, and then what about, you, you mentioned frequency earlier, which I find interesting. So is with that, your so you just mentioned 12 sessions. So how does that frequency get spread across swim, bike and run? So generally I would do four swims a week. I do five bikes, five runs and two gym sessions. Um, but a lot of those are combined. So I'm a big fan of running off the bike. So a lot of, so two of those a week, that would be two bikes followed by two runs off the bike. So those two sort of get combined together. Um, and then on one of my easier days in the week, I do an easy bike followed by a gym session straight away. So some of those sessions get combined because um, I only have specific sort of blocks of time that I can take. So I try to try to get in that sort of 12 to 14 sessions a week if you include the gyms in there as well. Um, and I find that's the way I can get stuff in because I don't have too many big blocks of time in the week. Tell us about that strength work that you mentioned. How does that feature? Is it is it activation? Is it prehab, rehab? Is it actually lifting heavy? How does that fit into your training and, and how has that evolved over the the last 10 years or so? Yeah, it's definitely involved because I've, you know, I found the older I've got, the little bit less time I have with the family, like the strength work has become a bit more important to keep me healthy. I've definitely had, you know, niggles and injuries over that time. So I've found that when I've neglected the strength stuff, it has made an impact on how healthy I can be. So it's definitely a regular thing for me. And I'm lucky that a local gym that my friend owns, I get a, a session with them once a week and then I do my second session on my own. Um, but I definitely have a combination of all the things that you sort of just mentioned. So there's definitely periods where I lift heavy. I do think that's important for triathlon at certain stages. It just needs to align with the rest of your program. But especially 70.3 and Ironman where you're, you know, essentially doing a, a, an event which is heavily focused on, you know, muscular endurance and strength over a long period of time, like having having some good lifting helps with those gains, but it has to align with the other sessions. Um but there's always a lot of key sort of activation stability work in there. And a lot of that's geared towards like niggles and things that I had over the years. So, you know, um, I'm prone to, to calf strains, to um, sort of high uh, glute tendinopathy sort of stuff. So I really have to focus on those areas when I'm doing a lot of my work. So you talk to us about your weekly structure, Lee. So you're sort of doing, you know, that 15 hours a week for, say 12, 14 weeks leading into a key 70.3 or 70.3 where, you, you know, you really want to perform to the best of your ability. 
Do you have any key sessions in there or, or any group of sessions that you really like to tick off before a race or is it more about just accumulating the, the frequency and volume over time? I mean, I would say that my overall focus is about the frequency and volume over the time, but I think the way that the top end of age group racing has changed over the last three or four years, I've had to adapt a little bit and then I do get some key sessions in there. So, um, you know, I'd say one of the biggest things that I've re reflected on at the top end of age group racing now is, you know, the, the, the top end of the bike is obviously advanced quite a lot and you have a lot of guys who are riding very fast. So um, I've definitely, you know, done a bit more sort of high-end tempo work and threshold work consistently throughout the build, whereas I might only do that for a period you know, of the training block in, in previous blocks before, but the way that the bike is advancing now, you just, you can't have those physiological gaps. You've got to be there. So I've definitely had to sort of improve my bike game. Otherwise you're just losing time all the time to the top age groupers. So that's, that's been a, a difference in, in that. And yeah, a lot of those intervals range from, you know, sort of longer threshold intervals that, you know, sort of sub threshold stuff to, to high high shorter intervals where you're doing threshold into VO2 builds and stuff. Um, uh, what I would note on that is that on the run side of it, I've been very lucky that with my run background, I haven't had to sort of tailor my run sessions too much towards that because I can, I can get pick up my run speed quite quickly without having to do real big blocks of focus work on the run, which has been good. Yep. And what about the, in the water? I think you mentioned earlier, it's, it's uh, it was your weakness um, being a, a runner in your formative years in sport and then, you know, moving across to Australia. And I think you mentioned the only time you've been swimming being from the UK was your two week summer holiday. So what about your development of swim over time? Yes, it took a while. I mean, um, I'm still a big believer that sort of when you're under a certain threshold of pace for the swim, like technique is obviously a, a very big thing and learning to swim easy and efficiently is, is important um, because you need to be able to be controlled before you can start to go fast. So that was something that I had to learn quite early on. And, and my coach that I was working with was very good at sort of setting me a couple of goals on my technique for a block. I'd go and work on them. I'd come back. We'd have a look again. We'd go again. And I was quite lucky that I had quite good awareness of technique and feel for my body position when I was swimming. So I felt like when I had a couple of tips, things I had to work on, I could progress quite quickly. And then once I sort of got to the point where I could swim fairly well, then it became much more of a physiological thing. And and now it changes a little bit when you're in a, I guess, a normal 70.3 race where, you know, the starts are rolling because there's less of, a, of an impact at the start of the race to be quick. But I, I find that for me, if I want to be in good shape, for a 70.3, like I really have to do um, some good threshold work. Like I have to get my top end up. So, you know, I like doing sessions like 10, 12, 100s off a very short cycle, trying to hold a good average threshold pace, you know, as, as efficiently as I can. Things like that really, really work for me. So, um, yeah, I definitely feel like not coming from a, a swimming background, you've got to, you know, get comfortable at that race pace and above. So that's a good example of a, a threshold swim. So you, you mentioned you're doing four swims a week. So how many of those are threshold based versus doing the technical work you mentioned versus endurance swim? Like, do you know your weekly kilometers in the water and, and how that's spread across those four sessions? 
Yeah, I don't always track the kilometers um, so much rather than time. But yeah, but of the four, um, you know, because of the proximity that we live to to the beach here in Sydney and our triathlon club has a has a swim session every week in the ocean. So generally I would try and get in the ocean once a week, which is normally uh, a mix of yeah endurance based stuff. We don't do too much um, sort of threshold VO2 all the time in the ocean. So it's a lot more endurance based. So that's one of the sort of like more steadier sessions of the week. And then I would definitely do one more sort of what I would call maintenance or endurance session a week where it's, it's not too high TSS. Um, so I can recover. And I usually do that like on one of my easier days in the week. And then my other two sessions a week would be a combination. One would definitely be threshold to some extent. And then the other one would probably be a combination of strength, endurance and threshold sort of together. Um, so I, I would say that as I get closer to the race, I definitely do a bit more sort of top end stuff in most of the swim sessions, just in that last sort of two to three weeks. Cause I find that gives me a lot of confidence before I get into the race. Right now, I'm going to go same question for those for your riding each week and how you get the mix right. So you mentioned usually five rides a week. What is and you've also mentioned, you know, you like to do as the race gets closer, more upper tempo or sub threshold work to be prepared for the specific demands of racing at your level. Um, yeah, what's the, what's the rest of the mix? Um, and yeah, maybe even include some of the the main sessions of of these bike rides. Yeah, so my 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 weekly ride sort of schedule is normally I would have um, one easy ride, a recovery day, um, indoors on the trainer because I do most of my riding on the trainer in the week and then I ride outdoors at the weekend. Um, I would then have two sessions. I normally back-to-back -back those sessions, two days in a row in the middle of the week. And depending on the training block, that could be a combination. You know, one day could be strength endurance, the next day could be a, a threshold-type session. Um, or a tempo session depending on you know the, again the proximity of the race because I like to get a bit more race specific um, as, I, as I get towards the race because uh, it I think it aligns much more physiologically with preparing you for the race um, I would then do another easy ride in the week um, sort of so sandwiching those two sort of hard bike sessions with two easy sessions either side and then I'd be outdoors at the weekend doing a, a longer ride which may have some hill stuff included it may just be you know more of a zone two ride and it might have some you know some race specific tempo at some point as well depending on how the rest of the week looks like so you're getting most of your intensity in during the week and mostly on the trainer um and yeah. the endurance ride is more of an endurance ride and just keeping that nice yeah. nice and easy yeah sydney's not like the best for you know good straights of riding where um it's uninterrupted by traffic and traffic lights and things like that. So most of this specific stuff is done on the trainer and the weekend riding is really good. So the outdoor riding for sort of like more long hill sort of stuff or, or, or zone two aerobic things are really good in Sydney. So you can get some great rides in here. And then, yeah, again, depending on the block, we might put some specific stuff in there, which is yeah hill based or race specific sort of based stuff. And you can probably guess this, but I'm going to ask the same question for your running while we're at it. Yeah, so the run, again, sort of just prefacing that I think because I have that run background, like it doesn't take me a lot of really specific speed sessions to get my race pace sort of back. So um, I feel like that's quite advantageous from the sense that I can do bring my run along a little bit later on. Um, but at the same time, I, I feel like my, my run background also isn't geared towards long distance running. So um, mm. 
I do find that a lot of zone two or aerobic running is really good for me because it's, it's not my strength when it comes to running. So, um, I do, you know, uh, essentially, uh, an easy run at the start of the week, which is more like a recovery run at the start of the week after a big weekend. Um, I'll do a run off the bike in the week after one of my harder bike sessions. And that's pretty much always on the treadmill. Um, I'll do a run session, a quality run session in the week as well. Um, again, depending on the, how the week works, sometimes that's a double sort of threshold session. So I might do a hard bike in the morning and a hard run in the afternoon. Um, and then at the weekend, I generally do another run off the bike, off my longer bike, and then a long run as well. All right, so you're clearly a competitor here and you've mentioned a lot about you know target race pace and preparing for the specific demands of the race. And that's just not, that's for you, it's not about being ready for the distances as such. It's actually, you know, what level do you want to race at? Can you give us a bit of an idea of, of what those target paces and powers are across swim, bike and run? And also while you're at it, um, maybe show off a little bit and tell us what your best splits are across swim, bike and run in a 70.3 as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, it won't be too much, too much impressive on the swim. <laughs> um, I, I know sort of one of my, yeah, one of the session I mentioned earlier, sort of the, the 10, 100s or 12, 100s, um, that was really a benchmark session for me when I started improving in triathlon in sort of 2016, when I fun, won my first, uh, world champs before 2018, I've kept that session kind of going all the way through. And, you know, I, I think back in those days, sort of, I would, you know, essentially swim 10 or 12 100s at 130 pace on a 140 cycle type thing. And that was that was difficult for me back then. But, you know, now I get to the point where I'll do them on a 130 cycle and I can swim low 120s or something like that, depending on what pool I'm in. Um, so that's sort of one of the key benchmark sessions I always like to put in all the time. It gives me a good indication of where I'm at, but also I know if I'm doing that session well, then I'm in good shape. So that would sort of get me to the point where, you know, my, my sort of swim for a 70.3 would be around 27 minutes. Um, so it's sort of, you know, you may be second, third pack. So not up there with the top guys, but close enough where, you know, you can then get into the race after that. Um, on the bike, um, obviously nowadays, like people are riding, obviously sub 210 most of the time on the bike, if it's a, a fairly, you know, good bike course. So for me, you know, I'm essentially my power my threshold power on on the trainer is is 330 so that's on the off the kicker power which is very close to um you know my power meter on my bike as well but again key sessions going into races so i like to do like six times five minutes which is like a threshold hard um interval for four minutes with a one minute like pick up into vo2 and another one i'm doing at the moment is sort of like a 15 minute um, build at race pace. So you start above 70.3 race pace and then build into the bottom threshold zone for the last few minutes. Again, once I can see my heart rates sort of at the level that I, I'm happy with at that point when I'm doing those intervals, I know I'm in good shape on the bike. So sort of if I'm holding my tempo heart rate for those sort of longer hard intervals where you're, where you're kind of flittering between tempo and threshold, like I know I'm in good shape. So they're always good benchmarks for me. Um, and then on the run, um, I generally try to air more towards the longer sort of threshold to VO2 intervals just because I find they get me in good shape quicker. So rather than doing sort of 800s or 1Ks, I like to do sort of 2K intervals or something like that. And I like to run a lot of them on 
undulating terrain over here. So we've got some good loops in my local area where I might, might run three times 3K or four times 2K on, you know, it's quite an undulating loop. And if I'm running sort of, you know, low 320s for that, I know, again, I'm in, I'm in good shape to sort of run, you know, anywhere between a 115 and a 117 for a half off the bike, which is sort of always my target going into a race. Pretty handy. So you mentioned an FTP 330. So for the data geeks, what are you weighing when you when you're hitting a 330? So we get um, lots I'm per used, kilo. Yeah, I usually flip between 68, 69 kilograms, pretty much. Um, I don't actually change that weight too much, even when I'm in the off season. So I might go up to like 70, but I'm I'm very stable in in my in my in my weight, even when my training load comes down a little bit. I think my appetite just sort of naturally deals with that and i may be slightly less at that point so i don't change weight often so it's quite yes. stable for me yeah it's and how tall are you um one meter 85 yeah okay so you look yeah you're looking at 4.8 or so watts per kilo which is pretty solid at threshold and what's yeah. your you know along this line of questioning and and thinking what do you then target on race day over a 70.3 well, I mean, again, I think I think the numbers are out there. I think like most of the top end guys are sort of riding about four to four point two five watts a kilo type thing. So for me, normally, like I'm trying to ride around two hundred and eighty watts somewhere along along those sorts of lines. But I think the way that the racings change nowadays, the one thing that I do go into um, into these seventy point threes with, and I you know I think back to sort of Melbourne last year or doing Sunshine Coast, like with some of the training that I do and, and the sort of the builds in the intervals, I'm also preparing myself for being able to surge into VO2 and ride sections where I'm riding at a higher, higher power. So, you know, like for example, at Melbourne last year where I, I came around the first lap and you're about to start the second lap and you come into a big group, like there was no issue like for me to ride 330 Watts for five minutes to go past the group and stuff like that. Like, so I'm also gearing my training towards the racing side of it when you get towards the top end of the race as well. And speaking of you back in 2016, you won your age group at the world champs, which are held on the sunshine coast and you're about to race there again. So what else has changed? Has anything else changed and evolved um, from, from when you're preparing for that to where you're preparing for the race again this year? And then, uh, you know, as part of that question, what stayed the same and, and what have you added in? It's a good question, actually. It's really reflective. It's um, it's a good thing to think about. I think um, one of the big things that I've grown in as an athlete, as I've matured and spent more time doing it, plus having the side of coaching as well, is that I'm I'm a lot better at monitoring my sort of intensity distribution of my sessions. So doing my sessions in the right zone that they're supposed to be. I think back in my earlier days, back then, leading up to 2016, um, I was. I was not, I was a developing swimmer and biker still at that time. Um, and I could run well, but I don't think I was that good at necessarily focusing on getting the training in the right zones all the time. I think I was training hard a lot of the time and maybe overexerting myself in sessions where I shouldn't have been. And that's developed a lot over the years. I'm a lot more mindful about that, especially as I've got older and need to recover and have more sort of commitments outside of triathlon. So that's helped to keep me sort of healthy. And, and still progressing in my performances, which have been good. Um, I still work with the same coach who's the head coach of our coaching company um, that I've had ever since I started triathlon. And I think, you know, 
a lot of the stuff that we did back then is still kind of set in stone. Like in terms of knowing your own performance gaps, I, I'm still very aware that sort of, I guess my, the aerobic side, the aerobic strength of my performances in cycling, running are still probably my, my biggest fall down. Like I'm much better at the threshold VO2 end of physiology. So we still keep a lot of good zone two, long riding, long running in there because I think that really helps get me in good shape. So um, I think they're some of the things that have definitely been a staple of my training. Um, and I think, yeah, I think just just knowing a bit more about myself as an athlete, I think over the years I've just developed as we've got more to the top end of racing, we've just adjusted the sessions more to be able to deal with those demands of things that might happen in a race. Okay, and knowing that they, it was a back in 2016, it was going to be a world championships. And I guess, same question for when you were preparing for the 2018 world championships in the standard distance. Um, did that change anything? Or was it the same, same weekly structure, same staples to your diet, uh, training diet, and um, you know, preparing the same? It just happened to have that label of world championships. I think when we look at 2016, things were a bit different because. I had less expectation going into that race. Like I was still fairly, like I said, new and developing as a triathlete. I'd done a few years of long course racing, a few Ironmans and I'd made progressions and I was going into that race confident that, you know, I, I could probably get in the top five or maybe get a podium depending on how the race panned out. Um, but I wasn't super confident. So in terms of the training, the way we led up to it, I was just trying to be the best performance that I could be for myself I wasn't focusing on the race dynamics so much or um, what I needed to do to get the, to the top of the age group necessarily worrying about everyone else's times or what the fastest bike would be because I was just focusing more on what my best performance could be I think when we moved from there to 2018 as I developed a bit more in that couple of years I knew what it was going to take to win that race I knew I'd have to swim this time I'd have to ride this time or put out this many watts and run this time. And looking at my physiology, I, I sort of figured, okay, I'm going to be down this much time on the swim maybe, so I have to make up this much time on the run. So as I developed towards 2018, the schedule of training probably didn't change that much, but the way I approached the training and the benchmarks, we set ourselves for, okay, we need to swim this pace, we need to bike this many watts, we need to run this fast, changed a lot. And that became a lot more specific because I thought I could win. And that's how, how things developed a bit. So I don't think the overall schedule necessarily changed too much. Um, from the diet side, I think after 2018, once I moved back to some more long course racing, I definitely started to take some time to try and make myself a bit more of a well-rounded aerobic athlete, like knowing that the strength side of it and the longer distances were my downfall or my weakness as an athlete. So I definitely did a lot more sort of longer zone two stuff i spent a bit more time focusing on doing the um sessions that were supposed to be easy easy um i did a, started doing a lot more sort of fasted training and things to try and develop my aerobic system in that way as well and that definitely sort of drove the aerobic benefits that i got so that was that was a big change for me there and i, I definitely say i'm a lot stronger now as a as an all-round athlete if i looked at my physiological profile for sure I think this is a good opportunity actually to to look at those two world age group world championships that you have. So with 2016, you said that, you know, you were still just trying to be the best athlete you can be. And it was less about the performance outcome and more about your 
I guess your individual performance and you know hitting your numbers and continuing to develop. Whereas by the time you got to 2018, you were really targeting the win and you knew what you need needed to do. So you've talked already a little bit about the training and how the training changed or didn't change, or just maybe where the focus was in terms of your mindset. But can you maybe just talk us through the race in 2016 and and the things that are running through your head and then you know maybe even include the point at which you you realize you were you were going to win that race in your age group and and become world champion versus how that approach to race day was different in 2018 where that was a very clear target and goal yeah absolutely i mean coming into the 2016 world champs like we had our first son and the second one was on the way so our life had changed a little bit so we'd been a bit busier in terms of training so i'd had to adapt my schedule a little bit but things had been working well um and at the start of 2016 what we decided to do was go back to a little bit of short course racing in the build-up for that because i'd done a few years of long course racing so i started doing a lot more sort of standard distance and tried to get a little bit of speed back in the preparation for that um which was a which was a good way to approach it but like i said before like coming into the the event i felt fit and i felt in good shape and running wise especially i knew i was running fast that was the one sort of area that i knew i'd got back and i was doing some really good training sessions at that point um but i knew in that race like i would have deficits on on the swim and bike because i knew people who were at the top of my age group in in australia i assumed there'd be other guys like that from other countries and i knew you know, I was probably going to have at least sort of three minute gap down on the swim. And then you've got really good guys who are probably riding um, on the hillier course. It was back in, in 2016 at Sunshine Coast because I went into the hinterland. I thought, you know, if guys are riding 215, like I'm probably going to lose another five minutes there. So I'm going to have to run like 115 to like get a podium. So I focused on what I could do for me to get in that shape to ride those sort of times that I thought I could do and run those times and try to limit the deficits where I could. And then as the race unfolded, it kind of went that way. Um, it was an ocean swim and I was hoping it would be a bit rougher on that day because I, I feel like I'm quite good in the open water compared to the pool. So I was quite um, keen for it to be a bit wavy, but it was, it was a pretty nice day, unfortunately. So the time gaps weren't as big as I thought they could have been to some people who weren't used to swimming in the ocean. But yeah, the, the top age groupers were coming out around sort of low 24s and I came out with a 27, which I was really pleased with. And I could see people ahead of me who I knew who maybe would normally be a bit further ahead of me. So I was quite pleased with my swim. Um, we were the first age group off after the pro. So we were really lucky that when we got on the highway, it was really clear and we didn't get caught up with sort of all the bunches behind us that had big groups on the highway so it felt quite like fair which was again another positive I felt for my strengths because I was quite happy to ride in small groups on my own because I felt like physiologically I was in good shape um so I think I was about the third pack on the bike on the highway section and then we moved out to the hinterland where you do the two loops of the hills out there and then that was really one of my strengths like I'd ridden a lot of hills in Sydney and I had quite you know I was, I'm quite a light person so I was prepared to ride the hills quite hard and, and try and make up time there, which I was I felt like I was fairly able to do. And then I, I came off the bike. I think I'd moved from like 40th on the swim to about 20th on the bike, came off the bike, and I knew I had about 
nine minutes, I think I was down to the leader. So it still sounded like a chunk of time, but I knew I was in great run shape at the time. And, and my coach and I had always sort of had a plan where to try and get into the race, I was going to run the first 10K really hard and just try and make up as much deficit as I could early on and know that hopefully then in the last four or five K being a runner, I might able to handle that fatigue a little bit better than anyone else. So get myself in the race, sort of try and show people that I was chasing them down and it sort of worked out like that. So I ran the first 10 K really quick. I think I'd moved from 20th to six or seventh position by 10 K. Um, and I finally got into the lead at 16K as you were hitting the turnaround to come back. And I passed one of the Australians who told me I was in the lead. So I was still a bit nervous at that point coming back into town. And, and as I hit the final hill, coming back towards the finish there in Sunshine Coast, I started to cramp in my quads. My VMO started to go and I was sort of stick man hobbling up the hill and <laughs> I looked over my shoulder and I could see people running towards me. I was like, oh, gosh, this is going to be a nightmare and uh yeah hobbled hobbled into the finish and won by six seconds in the end <laughs> wow there you go that so, so was a it was a very close race in the end yeah like um it lucky that it panned out like I, I wasn't sure that i could get the win at that point but things just sort of panned out that way so what was the overall time there to, to win only uh, by seven seconds and and where did you place in the overall age group race yeah, so I think I was 4.13, I think, overall. So it wasn't as quick as other years at Sunshine Coast because we were riding the hillier bike. But mm. I think our age group ended up being one of the slowest bike times where everything else was comparable. I think because we were off first and we had the clear road, whereas I remember riding back along the highway after on the first lap that you do on the highway on the, on the way back. And I think it, the detriment that the guys had behind us is I think they set off like the – 30 to 34 age group and the 25 to 29 age group like two minutes apart and there was just pelotons of those guys on the highway so i think when you look at the overall times those two age groups ended up riding significantly faster than everyone else which made their overall times quite quick so i think our times overall weren't as fast but i think that's because we were riding a lot of the time on our own without without those sort of packs on the highway which was sort of it made our bike times look quite slow mm. compared to everyone else's um, but you know, at the end of the day, it was just about competing against who was there, which was really nice being the first age group off because you got to come across the line first and yeah, it was, uh, it was quite a special day. Yeah. I bet now, before I get you to talk a little bit more about the 2018 experience, a couple of things that pop out there, you, you mentioned you had your first child, you and you and your wife, like leading into or prior to that 2016. So obviously a life change um, and you probably got less free time and less time available to just be out training. Um, I found when I had my children, it was sometimes a good thing. And you mentioned it earlier too. Like it is that, that natural balance that you kind of have to have. Um, and for me, and I think a lot of triathletes, that sort of obsessive kind of nature and just more, 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 and almost sort of taking it for granted versus being a bit more purposeful in your training when you've got competing priorities um, is, is that is that similar to your experience? And do, do you think that was potentially a good thing for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, and I think sort of the, the coaching or teaching side of me had always had that sort of really um, good perspective towards things as a whole anyway. But as soon as, yeah, the kids came along, um, yeah, it's 
it just gives you that time where you're just not worried about triathlon. So yeah, you might get a bit busy and every now and then you get a little bit stressed because you run out of time and you want to do this. So I've got to go and train here, but the kids kind of just bring you down to earth and you just, you know, so much of your time where you could be worrying about the triathlon race, like you're just spending great time with your family. So it's, it's, it's a really good thing to have those things away from triathlon, you know, whether it's family or another hobby or friends or whatever you do. But I think it really provides that good balance. And I think it brings out, you know, more in your performances because you're less focused on triathlon, you know, a hundred percent of the time. So, you know, I, I, I've got great memories of being up at that 2016 world champs. And, you know, my son was, you know, very, was still fairly young. He was, he was an early toddler and running around with him on the beach and playing in the park there. It was awesome, you know, and uh, then obviously they were there at the finish as well. So it was fantastic. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And then the other thing I wanted to talk about when I was listening to you talk about you know, training and preparing for 2016 was you talked a lot about your running be the strength and it's obviously always going to be a strength. But how, I guess the question is, how do you decide how you sort of work with that strength versus the time you're putting in to developing those areas that are, that are a bit weaker for you compared to your peers? And because obviously, you know, there's the trade-off of, yes, I can go and run five, 10 minutes faster than everyone else, which is essentially what you did. I think you said eight or nine minutes, um, you know, was the deficit you had off the bike versus making sure you are strong enough in the swim and bike to mitigate those losses. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's developed more and more as I've been able to improve my swim and bike over the years. But at that time, I knew, obviously, I did have the deficits on the, on the, on the swim and bike. So, but, you know my coaches had always had a focus on, you know, trying to work on our, our, our weaknesses, our areas for improvement, but still keeping your strength to strength. But it's just having that trade-off where you can do enough on the run to make sure that it's still a strength that you're going to make up those, those times that you need, especially because what I would say is a lot of the, a lot of the deficits, a lot of the falters that people have in races do happen on the run. So, you know, when people do fatigue often, the big blow-ups come on the run. So you still want to make up a lot of time there. Um, but you've got to make sure that you've got enough time, obviously, to focus on plugging the gaps in your physiology that you can. So we, we made sure that we were doing enough. Um, and at that time, what we figured is instead of me doing a lot of what I would say in that period was less zone two stuff leading into it. I was doing like two run sessions a week, whereas now I normally just do one main run session a week. Back then I was doing two and I was really trying to make sure that my pace was at the top end because I knew I wanted to run the first half of the run fairly hard to try and make up as much time as I could early on because I knew I would have to. Um, so our running training was geared a lot towards that. So I was, yeah, I was doing two interval sessions a week that were pretty, pretty fast. And then in the last, sort of periods my runs off the bike as well I was doing pretty quick so I was doing a lot of like real specific stuff on the run at that point and what were you doing to minimize the the gaps you would have to your peers across swim and bike well the swim was sort of taking care of itself in the sense that you know I, I again I was doing my swims across the week I was putting in a lot of work in the open water like I, I mentioned earlier like I, I feel like I'm a much better open water swimmer than I am a pool swimmer so I've got pretty good skills in the open water obviously a wetsuit helps me as well but you know my my sighting and um, the way i use groups and things like that when you're in the water i felt like i took to open water swimming quite well so um 
I was doing open water regularly once a week and having that as one of my key sessions. And then the pool stuff was, um, I think at the time I was working a lot on um, sort of still developing some technique, but a lot on strength as well, because I was quite a light athlete. I wasn't particularly strong. So um, that was trying to sort of like complement my open water swimming as well. So I was doing, trying to plug the gaps there. Um, what We weren't focused too much on time cycles all the time and paces until I got to that sort of 2018 world champs, but I was just trying to become a better swimmer because, again, I still had just technical deficiencies at that point. And the bike, it was just um, a pure case of trying to lift my numbers. Like at that point, I was just always trying to progress my numbers because, again, I was still fairly new to the sport. I was a light athlete. I was pretty good in terms of power to rate ratio on hills and things, but, you know, I needed to be able to produce good power on the flat as well. So I was doing a lot of good strength endurance and then threshold work to try and bring those numbers up. All right. Now tell us about 2018 where you had that clear goal and that mindset to try and get another age group world championship this time over the standard distance, which you have already said that you think suited you and your physiology better, but how, I guess, yeah, just walking us through, you know, any big things in the preparation, but then again, just a step-by-step of, of your race day with that clear cut goal in mind. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this was so from the basics side of it. So, you know, by this point we had two kids and my wife was back doing some exercise. I mean, she's busy. She's got a corporate job and she also loves endurance sport and she had qualified for the sprint world champs there as well. So we were trying to balance both of us doing a bit of training. She obviously wasn't training as much as me, but we were trying to balance that. So we, we had to come up with good schedules where we could do enough of what we wanted to do that I could still try and get to the point where I could aim to win and, and, and she would have a good experience and do the best she could. But um, leading into it, the, the first thing we did was sat down and looked at, you know, what people are going to do. Like I felt like when you looked at world championships previously across um, the standard distance, you know, essentially the top guys are swimming in the 17s. Most people are riding um, sort of mid to high 50s and then most people were running 34 35 minutes off the bike so you figured you know you've got to be going two hours or quicker to be getting on a podium or to be competing for it and i basically sat down with my coach and we looked at stuff and one of the ones i mentioned was about the swim before i was like you know at the moment i can do 10 100s on this cycle by the time i get to to gold coast i want to do 10 100s on this cycle like that was one of my performance goals you know the power on the bike was like okay my threshold's here I want to get my threshold to here. I want to be able to hold this many watts on these intervals at, at this heart rate um, by the time I get to that. Um, and then the run, the same thing. I was like, if these guys are going to be swimming three minutes or two and a half minutes quicker than me here, I have to run three and a half, two minutes quicker than on the 10K. So I need to get my run intervals back down to this sort of time so I can, I can plug those gaps. And then if I can s- cycle as fast as everyone, which I felt like I could, I can lose this much time on the swim. I need to run this much faster than everyone. And if I can do that, I can win. That was essentially, it became like a maths thing. I was just like, this is how I approach it. These are the targets I've got. And that's how I'm going to get to the point where I can compete to win it. Very calculated. So tell us how the the day went. Obviously, we know the outcome. So it's a bit of a spoiler, but yeah, talk us through <laughs> swim, bike and run while, while we're here. Yeah, I mean, I think it was, I, I feel like it was my best ever triathlon ever. I think it was my best all-round performance on the day. Um, so leading into it, it was great. Like we had a great 
week up there um, leading in and my wife had already done her sprint race, which was great. Um, the one disappointing thing that they told us the night before was that because our age group was the largest age group there, they were splitting us into two waves. So they split our field into two waves, five minutes apart. And I was in the first wave and I was a little bit concerned initially because sort of the three or four guys that I thought were my main competitors were all in the second wave behind me. And I was a bit concerned that that was going to be a factor. So I think they split it up like by um, surnames or something. And they ended up in in the wave behind. And I was like, oh, you know, this this is going to be a bit different because I'm going to have to, I'm not going to be able to race, you know, head to head against them. So anyway, we got over that and I figured I'd just try and obviously stick to what my goal was, use the people that were around me. Um, and it was a point-to-point swim, which was really nice because generally they're a bit easier for what I would say is a non-swimmer because there's less less to go wrong and it's a bit easier to follow people. So I had also done a lot of stuff in the lead-up on the swim to start hard. I'd done a lot of intervals where I was, you know, I swim in hundreds but doing the first 50 really hard. I was doing 200, swimming the first 100 really hard, knowing that I had to get on people's feet at the start and then just stay on there as long as I could to try and, you know, limit that deficit. So the swim went well. We jumped in the swim. It was a deep water start. And, you know, I practiced that a lot in the ocean here. And um, as happens in a lot of them, you know, the, the, the sort of handful of people who swim really fast jumped off the front and I managed to jump onto the second group. And then I was just stubborn. I just stayed in the middle of the group. I wouldn't let anyone get on the person's feet that I've got. I was just pushing them out of the way and I wouldn't let anyone get in my way. And I, I managed to stick with the, the the second pack the whole way into T1, which was good. Um, and one of the goals as well was to transition quick. So I had a, a good T2. I think I came in in my in my wave out of the swim in, in sort of the top 15 or so and um, was out on the bike pretty quick. Um, my plan on the bike was just to go hard. Like there was a few technical sections on the course and I knew I was technically very good on the bike. So I was taking corners really hard and then trying to ride my projected watts like on the flats as much as I could. And I was passing, passing people most of the time, which was really good on that sense. And heading back in as we were coming towards the second lap, you could sort of see the second wave at that point. So you could pass them and I could see the top guys all riding in a pack and I was on my own and I started to have a few doubts because I was like, oh, if they're swimming quicker than me and now they're riding as a group, I'm going to struggle to sort of maybe bike the same as them. But I just kept up. I kept uh, hammering the corners and the little hills and trying to move through people, which I was. And uh, yeah, ended up coming back with a really good bike. I ended up having the the fastest bike split in my age group by the end of the race um, and got into T two um i think i was fourth in my like wave off the bike and by the time i got out on the run i was already in second so i passed two people in transition and then just went for the run as as hard as i could similar to the previous world champs i was like i'm going to run the first 5k as hard as i can and then try and hold on better than everyone else in the second part and luckily it was an out and back sort of 5k loop so you could see the other people coming the other way so i could gauge how far ahead I was of them or if I was getting further ahead lap by lap. Um, so I knew I was running faster than them, but I didn't know sort of how fast I was overall compared to them. So I, I came in sort of t- to the finish there and I knew my time was quick. I wasn't sure about the distances. The times were quick. I came in at a 153, which was very quick because the run was a tiny bit short. Um, 
but I knew I'd won my my wave and I was super pleased with that. And then I had to wait to see to see what everyone else did. And um, you know, by the end, luckily things worked out for me and I actually I think I ended up winning by about a minute and a half in the end, which was really good. Was that a weird feeling having to wait? We've had uh, Matt Kerr on before when he was he was talking about when he became <laughs> Ironman age group world champion and because of the rolling starts, he didn't know. He he had um people telling him his supporters telling him that one guy had finished, this was his finish time, and if you don't run this last 5K in at this pace, um, he's going to stay ahead of you. And then he was able to sort of you know, dig in and, and run as fast as he needed to, but then he had to have that, that same weight because uh, someone else could do the same and where they, where they'd started further behind him. So how did you go managing that and how long was the wait? And then what was the feeling like when you, when you realized, oh, okay, no one else is, is going to go faster than me and I'm going to be the world champion and and I'm going to nail this goal that I set out. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it is a weird feeling, and it's it's a weird feeling for a couple of reasons. One, yeah, you are you are waiting, and you're never sure. And then sometimes when someone tells you, first of all, you don't believe them, especially when it's well, like one of your friends. They're like, yeah. "You've won," and you're like, "Are you sure?" Like, <laughs> yeah. So you're you're trying to find something tangible, but but the other reason it's it's quite hard at that point because at the 2016 champs, and then the same as 2018, as soon as you finished, you was the first person in they whisk you off to drug testing. So within like two minutes, like you'd finished and you might have won the world champs and then you're straight into the drug testing, like 10 area. So you sort of separated from everyone else. And people were shouting to me like over the barriers to try and tell me that I'd won. And I wasn't sure if it was true or not, but then they started showing me on their phones, the results had come up. So yeah, it was a really sort of surreal experience because you you want to obviously it, enjoy it with everyone but then you spend the next 30 minutes in drug testing as well which was quite funny but yeah it was amazing but then when i came out of drug testing on both of them everybody was there waiting for me which was really cool so it was yeah it was pretty amazing yeah that is cool um not many age groupers would have experience with drug testing can i I guess there's not really much info you can tell us but um you know what's that experience like i guess because i don't think many of us have have been drug tested it's really weird because you kind of have the elation of thinking, obviously, that you, you think you've won, but you're in drug testing. And, you know, I remember 2016, that you know, I, I whisked into drug testing. I was sat down next to Daniela Reef, And then, um, you know, it's it's weird because you don't know what to do as such. You're waiting for people to do, obviously, you know, do your thing and do the drug testing. And you want to talk to someone, but the only people there are other athletes that you may or may not know and, and the drugs testing people but you just you do want to talk to someone you want to you want to sort of enjoy the moment but you can't really do it it's really weird but yeah it just goes through the standard procedure you have to sort of drink some water and wait until you get the toilet and then they do all the samples and you sign all the forms and yeah once you've finally done it they let you out which is which is it's good that they're doing it obviously and you know especially at the top end which is i guess where it's most important for the equity of competition but yeah it kind of it delays that experience a little bit, but yeah, it's, it's a bit weird, but it was, it, I'm glad they're doing it and I'm glad it happens. Yeah. It's definitely a good thing. And do they tell you straight away that you're all yeah, good so to yeah. go or is it? Do yeah. It, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean that obviously they, they've got to go off and, and test it and stuff. So they, you, you, you don't know at that point, but I mean, essentially like both times, it's one of those ones where it's like list all the things that you've had and, you know, like, you know, I, apart from having you know a supplement or a vitamin C or something like I 
I don't have any medicines. I've got no illnesses and that. So I have nothing to put on there. So it's pretty like simple. You just sign all the forms, go to the toilet and then you're off and then you're just waiting. And it's kind of, if you don't hear anything, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. So that would be surreal. Yeah. I guess, you know, you obviously if you've got nothing to hide, you, you no worries, but technically you haven't been said, oh, you're all good to go. It's just, exactly if you don't right, hear anything, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. It's um, just a bit weird like that. Mm, yeah. All right. Um, well, thanks for sharing all that. Um, I wanted to ask another question, which I found quite interesting. Um, you obviously mentioned your wife, Danny, was also racing at the World Champs there in the sprint and, you know, that return to exercise after having two babies and so on. What, how did you manage that? Have you any tips for, I guess, other age groupers who, who are training racing um, and, you know, their spouse also is, especially if they've got a, got a family? Yeah, it was definitely probably the most challenging build um, when we were both training for a triathlon because we're trying to fit in obviously three things each across the week. Um, that's when we started to develop what you know a more flexible schedule where we could do stuff inside as well. So the first thing we did was bought a treadmill. That was one of the big revelations for us, and um, you know I probably spent more time on it than her because. Sometimes I could be more flexible um, than she could with her work. And I was happy to, to sort of run on the treadmill more than she was. She liked going outside. Like I was quite happy to, to get on and do that. But that made a big difference. And that's something I still use quite a lot now in my training, just because I feel it's really beneficial as well. But with the kids having that as a backup, you know, for bad weather, for it's dark or, you know, I've got to go and do um, some intervals. But, you know, there's traffic around everywhere. Like, you know, so jumping on the treadmill was really good for that. So that made a big a big bonus and I definitely recommend that if, if people are struggling for time. Um, the next thing was just the scheduling. So we had to come up with the scheduling of, you know, what are the kids doing here and who's picking up and dropping off? What session can you do and I do and which are our key sessions that make a big difference? So if you need to go to this run group because you want to run with these people, then that's your sort of slot here. Then I need to be able to fit in with that. And so we worked out where our key sessions were of the week and how we could align those together to do it to get the best out of it and and that was really it for us it was that scheduling consistency and sustainability so we could do it for 12 weeks or however long we were going to do it was it was a big thing but for me I definitely ended up training indoors a lot and training more on my own than I would normally do but I was happy because the compromise was that then I got more slots across the week type thing so I, I had a lot of slots where I could train but I was just doing a lot of it indoors which was which was okay and I think you've already answered this in, you know, when you were talking about 2018, but I'm going to ask again in case there's something else that comes to mind, but what, what do you, would you say your biggest achievement in your sporting life has been, whether that is triathlon or back in the running days? Oh, it's a hard one. And cause so many things kind of crop to mind. I mean, the, the first time I got to represent Great Britain, um, when I was an under 23 was huge. Like I, I just felt that was a, a monumental thing because, as a runner growing up, I, I knew I was talented at running and I could do something with running, but I knew I wasn't going to be an Olympian. Like I, I could have sort of had my limits and, you know, I grew up in the era, like I was in the same school year as Mo Farah and he was in the next sort of county to me. He was running for Middlesex and I was in, you know, my area. And so we always raced and you, you saw the performance gap. You knew that he was going to be an Olympian and this was my level and this was his. So when I first sort of got to represent Great Britain, I was like, wow, this is, 
this is amazing. This is like, you know, might be the, the highest point I get to. So that was really special just because that was a hard thing to do. And I wasn't sure if I was ever going to get to do that, but that was sort of my running one that pops out. Um, triathlon, I probably have two. So the 2018 world champs, just because I felt like I was in really good shape. I raced really well. And I, I felt like I was going to win on that day, whatever, however the race went or whoever I was racing, I felt like I could win, which was a really nice feeling to train for an event and, um, and do that and, and really, really get what you kind of set out to do. That was a, a special one. And then I think the other one I just have to throw in, which kind of aligns with it is racing in Hawaii, even though I raced there twice and I didn't have particularly good races either times, just the experience in Kona to be around the best people in the world from an age group and a professional standpoint was just fantastic to spend the time on the course at the same time as those people were just, it was just a phenomenal experience, even though it probably wasn't my best achievement in terms of my performance. I felt like I was achieving just by being out there, like on the course with all those people it was just fantastic. Yeah. That's some pretty, pretty good, you know, there's three big peaks there. So yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting to get get the insight and a little bit of the backstory. Now, obviously we haven't talked much about Ironman, Ironman training or going to Kona on this one. We've been focusing on, on your age group world champs, but again, I think it just speaks to how well-rounded you are as an athlete. Now I am going to come off the back of that biggest achievement question and go into biggest mistake or disappointment. Now this could be one single race or event, or it could just be something a bit more general, like, you know, mistakes you used to make in training, like you alluded to a few. I think one earlier you mentioned, you know, you'd go too hard um, in in most of your sessions, but definitely too hard in some of those easy sessions. So have you got a, you know, biggest ma- mistake or disappointment or, or something you've learned the most from that you can share? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the one that I mentioned earlier is a big one, and that's a big one that I made, but it's also a big one that I see with athletes, either that we coach or athletes that are involved in our our triathlon club and stuff like that is that people maybe not monitoring their intensity enough or not training in the way that they're sort of prescribed to train. Um, and that could be a case of not really understanding or having the education about why you're trying to do that. Or sometimes it's a little bit ego based. I know, I think probably with me when I was trying to improve back in those early days, that was that I was always trying to keep up with everyone and, and improve that way. And, and then sort of the focus of my training was getting lost in what I was trying to achieve. So I do see that a lot. I do feel like that's a big mistake that I learned from a lot, like in my later years. And now, you know, I'm, I'm very focused on obviously what I'm trying to achieve through the week and what the sessions are focused towards. So that would probably be one of the biggest mistakes I've made from a training perspective. Um, I, I still look back on my Hawaii's and especially my second Hawaii and think um, that was, they're probably some of my biggest mistakes, even though, again, I don't see Ironman as my my most suited distance i felt like going into hawaii um i was in really good shape i'd raced at sunshine coast like three or four weeks before and gone four hours flat and like felt fairly comfortable doing it and then by the time i got to hawaii i think i just raced really poorly and made really bad decisions in the race to try and go too hard at different points and then yeah i just kind of you know raced myself out of the race it was it was a bit of a shame because i felt like i was in good shape there um so that would that would probably be one of my most disappointing races and then probably just touching on last year not being able to to compete at Ironman Western Australia last year because I was in really good shape at the end of the year and unfortunately had to go and have an, 
an emergency eye operation, which sort of stopped me from from progressing there. But I, I was in really good shape for an Ironman, which I hadn't been like in my whole triathlon career. So that was probably maybe not a mistake, but a regret for for I think I would have yeah gone well there, and it was a bit of a shame that I couldn't do that. That is a shame. And for for you, Owen Matthews, what's good shape for an Ironman mean? What what does what does that mean? What are we going to do? Like, you know, yeah, sub eight thirties. Uh, you know, yeah. I'm, I mean, what do you think? I've, I'm very. I never like to sit there and say what you could have done because I don't think that's you know it, it doesn't. Sometimes it's maybe a bit disrespectful to people who are there, but you know, I know after the training I'd put in and the performance I'd had at Melbourne and stuff like that, like I, you know, I knew I was trying to, I was trying to go like eight thirty. It was like my goal. Like I, I felt like I could go eight thirty. That was what I wanted to do. So, um, and I, and I had raced Ironman Bustleton like early on in my sort of triathlon journey, like 2014. So I knew what the course was like and where I could make up time and things like that. So I was pretty confident that I could have been pretty accurate towards hitting those sorts of times, but yeah, I'm not going to dwell on it for too long, but it was, yeah, it it was a bit disappointing, but you know, maybe another time. Fair enough. So we've established you juggle a fair bit of work, family, training, coaching, racing, the travel that comes along with that, partner who also wants to, to be active and, and has her own goals. Do you have any other key tips for age groupers, regardless of their level, to help them achieve whatever it is that they want to achieve? Yeah, I mean, I think having, well, firstly, and, and this isn't a plug, but <laughs> working with a coach is really good because I think as an athlete, it's really hard sometimes to be objective about the overall picture of what you're trying to do. And often as athletes, you you make mistakes in that because you may be making decisions that don't look at the whole picture. You might be a bit emotional about the decisions that you're making. And it really helps to have someone look from outside and, and see the big picture about what you're trying to do. I think that's some of the mistakes that people make, especially with so much information that's thrown thrown around now, like with social media and YouTube and things like that. Like there's a lot of information out there and um, it's easy to kind of get led down the wrong path. So I think, you know, that's a mistake I see people doing a lot and, and working with somebody who, who can kind of take that sort of objectivity out of the way, like makes a big difference. So I think working with a coach is one thing. Um, I know people talk about it a lot and we talk about training consistency and sustainability, but I think there's a lot of like aspects to that that come along with it. So, you know, it's not just about having a good schedule and stuff like that. It's about knowing how to recover well, how to prioritize sleep and nutrition. And there were two things that when kids came along, we had to sort of develop into our plan a lot. Like how am I going to get enough sleep that I can do 15, 16, 17 hours of training a week and how does my nutrition have to adapt? I've got enough energy to be able to do this if I'm adapting my schedule to do that. So those those were big things um, that made a difference and, and they're, they're things that you have to sort out early on before you sort of try and move through the training. You can't do them too late. Um, and then I think the other thing that I would always say to people is really having a good perspective on how things go through the week. So not stressing too much if life gets busy and you either have to miss or adapt something rather than worrying too much about what you just haven't done. Focus a bit more on looking forward and what you can do next because people get really caught up with, you know, what's in training peaks and how many of their boxes are green and, you know, switching things around. And it's like, you know, for me, family's first, then I've got work and then it's training. 
and if I have to adapt something or I have to miss it, that's all right. I'll just look forward and, and look at how maybe we'll change something moving forward so I can, you know, maybe plug a gap that I missed or something like that. Like, don't worry about it too much. You've done loads of good stuff, I'm sure. Just move forward and focus on something else. That's three great tips. I reckon that's a pretty good soundbite for someone. Uh, so thanks for sharing those. Now, on along the same lines, we actually met properly on a coaching course many years ago, and you mentioned that you're actively coaching now. What do you like most about yeah, your your journey as a coach? I, th- I think, I mean, education is massive. Like, I mean, obviously I was a teacher after coming out of university. I started working as a high school teacher and did that for eight years before we moved to Australia and then switched. Um, and it's just that working with people and the learning that is, I, I think, is really powerful. Like, you know, whether it's endurance sport or, or you're teaching or you're in business or whatever, I just being able to work with someone and, and share knowledge and see how someone understands, gets something, and especially in triathlon, how it then relates to performance is, is just a real motivator for me. Like I find that like so, so engaging. And I think that comes from me as an athlete as well, having worked with really good coaches over the years, having that experience myself. Um, and I think kind of I almost enjoyed the coaching or became a bit of a better coach because I was teaching before, just because I got that passion of seeing kids sort of understand, learn, learn things, you know, achieve a goal, like getting grades to go to university or whatever it is and, and seeing that learning process work and now coming into coaching and seeing how important the sort of education or learning side of it is as much as the physiological side, understanding the person and trying to get them sort of buying into the process, like is, is half, half the battle. So that sort of, you know, whether you look at calling it art versus science or whatever, knowing knowing the person and working with the person is is as important as just physiologically doing training. So I really enjoy that side of the coaching. And how do you fit the coaching in around your work, family, training schedule? Are you mostly doing your coaching remotely or are you doing some face-to-face stuff with uh, the Tri Club nearby? Yeah, it's a, it's a mixture of both. So our our coaching company, Energy Link, does um, three training sessions a week for Balmoral Triathlon Club, so in the local area here. So it's lucky that it's obviously close to me. And we've got four coaches. So um, of those sessions a week, we just rotate and then switch around based upon people's schedules and things like that. So we have a bit of flexibility um, if we get busy at different times. Um, I also limit myself to an amount of athletes so that I, you know, I have enough capacity to, you know, give them enough attention that they need for the training they're doing and the service that they're paying to be provided. So I limit myself for how many they've got. Some of that works remotely. So we do have some internationals and things like that. But I think one of the big benefits of being in the location that we're at is probably, you know, two thirds of the athletes I coach, I see every week at a training session, you know, they might just be in the local area or ride with our cycle group or something like that, or we're coaching them at a session. So that helps a lot in terms of the communication, the time taken to sort of catch up with things. So that, that helps kind of filter that in. And it also helps that, you know, my wife is part of the triathlon club and she knows that community. My kids have sort of been raised down there ever since, ever since they're young and they know so many people at the club. So often if we're down there coaching on a Saturday at the beach or even if I'm swimming, the kids will come down and play on the beach. Like it's, it just aligns very well. So it's, it's all worked out 
quite well. So you just got to be organized, but also, you know, find ways to make sure that you're not over committing the same with training or anything like that. You just got to know your limitations and make sure you can fit everything in. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I'm glad we got to touch on, on that side of things as well. Now I could probably talk to you all day and just keep asking questions about training and racing and the sport in general. Uh, but I better let you go and get back to your real job. Um, so if I'll, I'll leave it with one last question. What motivates and drives you into the future? I think it's still, for me, it always comes back to where I started and that's physical, physical improvement, physical performance, like trying to get the best out of myself, you know, and that's, again, I could look at that as a, as a, as a person in a workforce or a teacher or, a, or an athlete or a husband or a dad. For me, it's always about trying to be as good as I can be at something. I really enjoy that sort of performance nature of anything that you're doing. And that's what drives me forward. I know I'm, you know, on, on the aging side now compared to the overall sort of high-end population of where the triathlon results come from of those younger age groups. But, you know, I still feel like I've got a lot to offer. So I, I'm still going to be trying to plug away at good times and maybe go to some more world championships, I think. I like it. I've actually just thought of one other question here because I'm very intrigued by your approach to training and I guess the development over time of, you know, it being about being the best athlete and then realizing that you're you're quite good and quite fast and then that you are quite clearly motivated and, and you're a competitor at heart and you, and you want to win races and be near the pointy end. So if you're talking about 70.3 again, would you rather come first in a time of four hours or come fourth in a time of three hours, 57? First in a time of four hours, all day. Okay. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think I probably could have guessed that, but I, I thought I'd uh, get it on record. Yeah. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate you coming on and I really appreciate you sharing and going into the detail that you did. I reckon there's a lot in that one and I think people are going to enjoy it. I certainly did. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on Jamie and uh, yeah, for sharing all this. Cause I think it's, um, it's really important for fans of the sport to just, yeah, talk more about it. Yeah, I like it. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. If you have any questions, feedback, or ideas for future guests, please contact us via the Diary of an Age Grouper Instagram page. Alternatively, you can email info at jetcoaching.com.au. Don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe. This podcast was born to discuss all things age group triathlon. As an athlete, coach, and fan of the sport, I've always been intrigued with different approaches to training and how to optimize an individual's performance. We will speak to athletes who perform at a high level, as well as those with an interesting story. We will speak to coaches with a vast array of experience and also experts in various fields. We want to sift through what the physiology labs tell us, as well as what we see the pros doing and take the lessons that apply to us. This is the Diary of an Age Grouper.